Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Every week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field, and together we interview a guest about their work in design. Design is everywhere, so are we. This week, we're talking about designing sustainable beauty products. I'll be joined by Monica Becker, the Director of Beauty, Personal Care, and Household Products at the Cradle to Cradle Product Innovation Institute. And later on the show, we'll chat with Isabel Agard, the co-founder of Last Object, a zero-waste store of reusable everyday products. Together, we will learn more about sustainable design from concept to product without harming the planet. Speaking of not harming the planet, the current issue of Design Museum Magazine is all about design and climate change. So check it out, goes out to our subscribers and members, all kinds of articles spanning how solar power can help solve our energy crisis in communities, to how to design gasoline out of your life and out of your town. We talk about a bit about how products can be certified to be more sustainable. So it's a great issue. I hope you'll check it out. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org, click on magazine, and you can subscribe. And with that, on to this week's topic. When you look at the everyday products that surround you, a lot of these products have a short shelf life. They will eventually make their way into the trash. But what if things could be different? What if we didn't have to sacrifice the beauty of our planet with our own beauty and wellness of ourselves? I'm excited to chat with our guest co-host, Monica Becker, to learn more about the clean beauty movement and the changes that are being made in beauty product design. Monica is a purpose-driven sustainability expert. As the Director of Beauty, Personal Care, and Household Products at the Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute, Monica is responsible for growth, innovation, and impact initiatives in these sectors on a global scale. Prior to Cradle to Cradle, Monica worked as the Director of Collaborative Innovation for the Green Chemistry and Commerce Council. She also designed, funded, and managed core projects and programs and created and led industry collaborations in the beauty, personal care, and household product sectors. Monica's designs adapt for a better, healthier, and more beautiful future. Monica, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sam. Great to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about the clean beauty movement. Can you talk, tell us what that is, like what the aim of it is? You know, I really think that um, it's helpful to sort of lean on the framework of the Cradle to Cradle program, Cradle to Cradle Certified, which I am a part of, to start to describe what clean beauty is to me. So in Cradle to Cradle, we talk about safe, circular, and responsibly made. You know, when we talk about safe, we're talking about essentially the the safety of ingredients for people and planet. So um, ingredients, let's say, you know, we're talking about clean beauty. So let's talk about, you know, a personal care product like a lotion. Are the chemicals that have been chosen for the formulation, are they, have they been tested? Is there evidence that they are safe for people to put on or around their bodies or bodies of their children? And are they safe for the planet? You know, we in the Cradle to Cradle program take a very precautionary approach when we're assessing products. We assume that personal care products are going to go down, you know, wash off bodies, go down the drain. They're going to wind up in the aquatic environment. So we want to know, you know, are those chemicals safe or, you know, toxic for aquatic organisms? So that's all about safety, safe for people and planet. 
circular, of course, is the question of whether ingredients and packaging are packaging materials are um, being designed and manufactured to cycle in the economy and in the natural environment. So from an ingredient standpoint, you know, we're looking at whether ingredients of personal care products, when they're discharged um, into the aquatic environment, will they biodegrade? Are they made of renewable ingredients, responsibly sourced, et cetera? And packaging materials, you know, packaging, if it's plastic, recycled content or paper for that matter. And is there some reasonable pathway for those packages at end of life to be put back into the economy through recycling or composted if it's uh, compostable packaging, et cetera. And responsibly made, you know, it gets at a variety of things regarding how, how the product is made and how um, factories are operated. So, you know, we talk about whether water is used efficiently and treated effectively in the manufacturing process, whether energy is used efficiently, whether renewable energy is used, And finally, in the framework of Cradle to Cradle Certified, whether in factories, workers are treated fairly and human rights are being respected. So again, you know, to me, that is the the core of the onion. And then in in the clean beauty world, there are many other things that can be layered on top of that. Specifically, you know, whether ingredients were grown in an, or, in an organic agricultural system. So are, you know, the ingredients organic? Are they vegan? Were the ingredients tested on animals? You know, hopefully not. We're, we're really, you know, working very hard and now more and more able to get away from animal testing. There's really no reason for it. You all have a certification. Are, are those things tested? Are there criteria that then there's some like seal of approval? Can you talk about the certification and particularly in the beauty space? Yeah. So in the cradle to cradle framework, we have criteria, very specific and detailed criteria for each of those five categories. So, you know, material health is the safety aspect, product circularity, clean air, climate protection, water and soil stewardship, and social fairness. So they're very, very specific and detailed criteria for each of those five categories with a sort of optimization pathway, continuous improvement pathway built in. So with our new version four, standard that came out this year. We have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. So companies can come in at bronze and through the periodic recertification program, we are encouraging them and helping them to move up that uh, chain of achievement, or they can come in at the highest level. That's great. Are there great examples of beauty products that meet the certification that you could share and tell us a little bit about? Yeah, there's some really excellent examples. And um, let me start with a small company and then I'll go to a large company. One of the exciting companies that um, came on board recently, they've been working on cradle to cradle certification for a number of years, but more importantly, they really integrated cradle to cradle fundamentally from the beginning of the company and sort of structured their design efforts, product design efforts, packaging design efforts, and just overall sustainability strategy around cradle-to-cradle principles. And that's a company called Beauty Kitchen, and they're based in the UK. And they have a very dynamic duo of uh, co-founders, Joe and Stuart Chidley. And, um, you know, they come from 
the beauty industry. And this is kind of their passion play in many ways. So they have done a lot of work to optimize the ingredients of their products to use, you know, safe ingredients, plant-based ingredients, safe for people and planet, and renewable ingredients that are biodegradable and just good ingredients, both the fundamental ingredients of the product and fragrances, which, you know, is really key to a lot of personal care products and also can be a real challenge. They also have a reusable packaging scheme, which is pretty exciting, and it's called the Return, Refill, Repeat program. So their packages are, you know, mainly metal and glass and aluminum, which is designed specifically for reuse. And they have take back programs that they run themselves. And then they partner also with other retailers that are carrying their products. They also have partnered with Unilever to create these refill stations and you know so you can bring your own packaging to you know in their refill stations and they also do a lot of education and engagement with customers to ensure customers you know know how the program works and just to make it really easy to access the refill program so you know they're just a shining example of a company that is doing amazing work both on product and packaging and another example is L'Oreal USA. They've been on board um, with the Cradle to Cradle program for a number of years for their sustainability program overall. And they took um, an interesting approach to scale Cradle to Cradle across um, numerous brands. They have a factory that produces many of their brand products. And they made a concerted effort to optimize many aspects of the manufacturing facility to use renewable energy and use water efficiently and so forth in a factory. And they're going through their brands that are produced at that factory and assessing and optimizing the chemistry side, the product formulation side for each one of those brands. So they now have a number of brands like Garnier, Redkin, Purology, Carol's Daughter, certified, and there are others in the pipeline. They have very ambitious goals for packaging circularity, including reducing the amount of packaging for products that have recycled content of 20% by 2030. And they, for example, their new Redkin packaging, they just released new Redkin packaging, is at least 93% post-consumer recycled content and designed for recycling. So that's across all the Redkin packages. And they're really taking a leadership position in Cradle to Cradle, really working to try to educate you know, consumers about Cradle to Cradle and sharing some of their learnings with other brands as well that are interested in going on the journey. So we really do appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing that and, and for being with us. This is amazing work. Thank you. Listeners, to see more of Monica's work, learn about the certification, visit c2ccertified.org. We'll post a link. And Monica, stick around and we'll bring Isabel Agard into the conversation. Design Night Live is back. Join us on Saturday, September 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern for a night filled with all things design. Design Night Live is a Saturday night filled with prizes, familiar faces, networking, a silent auction, and more. We have the amazing Design Matters host, Debbie Millman, as our keynote speaker. 
During this interactive virtual event, attendees from all over will come together to celebrate design and the effect that storytelling has on all of us. We'll be sharing the vision and impact of Design Museum everywhere and hear from designers from around the world about how storytelling can be so transformative. Join Design Museum everywhere for a night filled with inspiring company and incredible prizes. Get your tickets today. Visit designnightlive.org. See you there. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Isabel Agard. Isabel is a designer by trade and eco-conscious by nature. Frustrated by all the single-use products out there, she decided to design innovative solutions to wasteful habits that make a lasting, positive impact. She co-founded Last Object in 2018, with the first product being Last Swab. Since their launch, they have designed seven more products, and this summer, they are releasing Last Pad, a reusable menstrual pad. Isabel's designs inspire others to live sustainably. Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And you're, we got you here from Denmark, so that's always fun. Yeah. I'd love to learn more about Last Object, what it is, and sort of what led you to start it. I love origin stories, so lay it on us. I founded Last Object with my two co-founders, two designers like me. The reason why we started our company was because we found that single-use items are just devastating for our environment on so many levels, in production, in, in, in discard. And I think what we wanted to do, our mission was to make reusable items, but to also just influence the whole the whole culture around the habits of the things that we have because and we talk a lot about minimalism and in our culture right now and that's that's amazing but i think that it's really important to look at single use as a habit it's something that you have you've had a lot of the the items that we're looking at it's something you've only had for like 50 100 years but you know that's above my lifetime. It's above everybody I know more or less lifetime. So it's something that we're so used to. And we really wanted to, to take this uh, upon us and look at how can we design these different objects so that they fit into a modern society so that I would want to use them. So my neighbor would want to use them, my girlfriend. So you started with Last Swab. So I'd love to have you tell us what Last Swab is and uh, what the design process was to produce it. Yes, and we started with a very small element. Um, we started with a, a Q-tip or the Q-tip and uh, the cotton swab, uh, which we called Last Swab, which is a, which is a reusable Q-tip cotton swab. So Last Swab was our like our first product and um, it was really exciting. Uh, it it was, we were looking at single use items in general. And I think the reason why we went to for the cotton swap was because we kind of solved it design wise quite quick with the materials, with the knowledge that we have in design and uh, form wise, it had to really look like a cotton swab. It had to really like feel like one. It, there were so many elements that kind of like clicked with the materials that we, we ended up using. So that was very natural for us to, to start there. Um, but it was of course a hundred different tests. Um, at this point we had, the boys had a, a 3D print company. So we 3D printed all of these like elements and we tested them out and we tried different uh, plastic types. And uh, I think that, uh, it, it was a whole design process, but the end result actually came quite quick compared to a lot of the other products that we've been working on. 
Yeah, so I, personal confession, I have a two Q-tip per day habit going on here. Oh. So I'm like, I want to go deeper. So what is the swab actually made of? And I know Monica's into materials. What are the actual materials? And like, why did you choose those to sort of like meet the same utility that people expect? Yes, of course. Okay, so the rod in itself had to be really, really sturdy and had to withhold a lot of uses because this is quite thin and and a Q-tip only it's only one use but ours had to you know it had to amount to thousands of uses so we ended up using pp plastic but reinforced with glass fiber so it really really it's sturdy and it's really strong the ends themselves it's kind of a textured surface that have like these bumps so that when you're cleaning your ear they actually really do catch something but it had to be a very closed surface, so it was hygienic and easy to clean. And it also had to mount with the PP. And this was really important because or else you'll like have a different kind of plastic stuck in your ear. So we found like a chemical bind between PP and TPE, which is a thermoplastic, but it's, it's similar to a silicone in texture. This is what it like feels like. And this was kind of the solution to having something really like soft and something that could actually, and a surface that could actually get, you know, EORX out, but also having this rod that was very strong. So, you know, that was the beginning. What other products sort of came next in terms of like reusable things that were once one-time use? So we went from Q-tips and um, we've like, we're kind of in the icky business. So we went from EOX to um, tissue paper and we did like a tissue pack. So it's a silicone package and then it has completely normal handkerchiefs but it was in a modern fashion where it had a sep like the, the whole container itself has like a separating element in it so that you have like the dirty tissues in one end and then you have the clean ones and they like push each other down so that was an element that we made for a home version a year after because actually our customers were like this is awesome we love this but like i have so many tissue boxes at home like Please help me. So that was very much like the users that created that. And we went into cotton rounds. So like facial makeup, also like if you're doing masks or exfoliating with these cotton rounds, then you could use our reusable cotton round. It was a developing process for us to get to this material, like the cotton rounds, because they really had to feel like a cotton round, but still be reusable. So this was, and this is with all our products, we really wanted to like design wise, look, feel like the single use version, because that's what we're used to. And it's an, it's enough to like try to explain or try to get people to actually wash and reuse it. Like that's, that's enough in like habit change. So we need like the design of it and the feel of it to keep being very similar to the single use. It really strikes me that you probably had to work very hard, A, to identify suppliers of the materials and the packaging that could first understand what you were trying to achieve, because this was this is so out of the box, right? And also then it must have been a tremendous amount of work to work with these, you know, material suppliers packaging suppliers to get the properties that you were seeking. So I'd be really curious to understand how you partnered with suppliers, how you found suppliers, how you partnered with them to really, you know, get the products that you were seeking for and the, the performance requirements that you were looking for. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, we uh, This is not our, our first product. So we have like a whole system, how we did in the beginning. It's not how we do it now, because now we have really nice partners that, we, that we've that we done really nice um, products with. And that's worth continuing in that like sphere. But in the beginning, when you're starting up, uh, what we did was that we con- uh, we found somebody, we found a list of maybe a hundred suppliers that were doing similar products. Maybe it was like in plastic, maybe it was something that, some kind of utility that made sense, like they know how to do kind of this ish product. And then we sent uh, our design, what we were aiming to, what kind of materials we were aiming at, what kind of um, form. Uh, we usually use 3D programs to make a lot of our designs. So we use that to like send them. And uh, and then we have like these hundreds of suppliers. And then very quickly after that, we could like space out your people that were willing to work with us. Then it became 50. From the 50, we asked, give a quote, give an estimate of where are we at? What would this take? How long? And then from that, you could kind of scale it down to maybe 10 suppliers and then from the 10 suppliers, we got um, prototypes. And from those, and we also have criteria around like, how is this produced in what way? How do they test the different materials? And all of this is like part of the process. And then when we have those 10 prototypes, and from there, it became like already there. You only get like, you know, prototypes from maybe seven, six. And then it became like four came in the door. And then at the end, you're standing with, three suppliers that are pretty okay, pretty okay. And, and then you can kind of be like, okay, you're really good at this material. You're really good at doing this part of, of the production, but what if like, and then you can kind of like play them up against each other in compared to like how quality wise, like I want this quality, but in this instance. And, um, and in that way they improved. And then from that, you could have probably two, uh, we had two suppliers in the beginning because it was so important for us to be able to deliver. And it was a, too big of a risk to like put it in in one hand. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back to, I love that you're talk, like designing these things to sort of mirror the single use that, you know, we're all accustomed to and use. Have you had to do like as a brand, some like education to like get people over that last hump. It's like, okay, here's this thing. Um, I usually use a hundred of them (laughs) in a week and now there's going to be one or a couple that I wash. Like how does that work in terms of like educating your customer base? I think that is something that we should work more on. For example, the whole washing of it, and we've had the swab is washed by hand. Then we went into, you know, tissues that washed in machine. And then we did a, also a laundry bag and we started talking about laundry, but it's a whole science. This, like, how do you clean things? How do you put it into your habits, your day-to-day life? Um, And I kind of feel like that's also the number one question, like with our new product launching, like that's the number one question on our Facebook. It's like, how do you wash this? <laughs> so, and, and I'm like, you put it in the washing machine or like you wash it by hand. Like, how can this be a question? But it is something that we have to uh, keep going back to. And I think that we should um, in the future be much more educational about how you wash things and how you um, keep things nice because good sustainable design is something that you care for. 
It's something that you wash in a proper way, that you store in a proper way. Uh, and it's something you love so that you keep using it with love. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Tell us about the launch of LastPad and how LastPad works. Yes. So our first only female-oriented uh, product, and uh, well, it's a reusable menstrual pad. We've actually been working on this ever since we started LastSwap. Um, and this also ta- this tells a little bit about like also the design process in these instances because the swab in itself like we we kind of we found out what we wanted to do we found out how in a few months and last pad has taken us three years you know some products are are just they they take longer time to kind of develop because we want to get them right and um, for us um, creating last pad was very much about creating something that's very luxurious, that has an actual huge effect on the environment and you want to use, but also has this element of being very functional properties. So for example, when you look at different um, period products, they don't in the same way have there are a lot of functions sometimes, and sometimes it's a lot about um, just having it very cheap and having like the cost down. For me, it was something that had to be quite innovative, finding three amazing layers that the pad should be. So it should be something that's really soft and dry. And I found this fabric that funnel the liquid um, away from your body so that you keep feeling dry. And then the middle part is very absorbent. Uh, 100% bamboo, so biodegradable, and a lot of um, amazing elements, antibacterial. And then you have the bottom layer that like makes sure that everything is leak proof. And then on the back, we put, um, we found out that the pad actually like kind of swaps back and forth your, your butt cheeks. So we needed something that was quite sturdy and really like sticked to the underwear. And this is where a sticky silicone came in which is an, an amazing uh, material that actually this is the first time I'm using it in a product, but it actually like sticks to your underwear. And when you wash it, it re-sticks. So it doesn't like, it doesn't get dull. It, it actually just improves on every wash. And then you have the flaps that kind of like contain, but are not like buttons or anything that like uh, would annoy you. It's something that's very flat and nice. And uh, I think this product was something design-wise that we had to have tested a lot. A lot of the products that we've done is like, you know, you test them at the office. So it's like, oh, I'm going to clean my ear. Like, I'll try this like tissue. Like, how does it feel on my skin? But this is something you have to put in your underwear. So we needed, you know, a lot of different women with a lot of different periods <laughs> to to kind of test this product out. We I even had some of um, my design partners who are men have testing them. So it was like it was important that the whole team really felt like how can we make this product very comfortable and how can it work in a way so that it feels luxurious. It's, it's the best word I have for it, but and and it's weird because I'm talking about periods. Um, yeah, yeah. But what a great thing to strive for. I mean, and this is launching with a crowdfunding campaign. Is that correct? Yeah. So we're doing a Kickstarter. We've done a Kickstarter for every single, not version, but every single like new design that we've had. And, and this is simply because we're in a field that nobody is in. So we can't really say like, oh, this is selling really good because we can look at these guys. 
And when we did last swap, for example, like you're going to clean your, your ears with something that's reusable. Like are people actually ready for this? Crowdfunding for us is a way for us to, to validate our design, validate our mission, validate like, okay, I've done a reusable menstrual pad. This is the cost. Like, are you in? Do you want to put your money there? Because if you're not going to want to put your money there, then then this doesn't have market value. And then we should try to strive for something else. When I talk to other companies that are making similarly disruptive products, they really want to stay direct to consumer so that they can get the feedback from the market, which is so critical when they're first getting started. So I'm just wondering, are you just direct to consumer? Are you selling through other retailers? How are you managing your customer base to educate them and get feedback to improve your products over time and so forth? Yes. And that's a really good point. Um, In the beginning, like this, doing a Kickstarter and actually having those, hopefully maybe 20,000 customers that will wear this product and use it and give us feedback is essential for us to to edit our production to edit our design and uh, and I think that's like the 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 beginning and now when I look at some of our other products like the swab who's that's been on the market for three years we use uh, Amazon uh, reviews a lot like I'm I'm not kidding you all like us three designers we read the reviews every single day to keep being like in, oh, oh, okay. So a lot of people maybe want it softer. Maybe we should do it softer. Okay. And then we try it out and then we do like these little tests. I think that it's so important for us to keep being in the loop of also our old product as well as our new products. Um, But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be in stores. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have distributors. I think that it's also vital to actually become a brand that could end up somewhere like Whole Foods. We need to get out to the, like out and, and be in the field in where I want to be next to single-use Q-tips. I want to be next to tissues. I want to be where, and, and you don't buy those things you know, online, you buy those things in a store. So it's vital for us to be there. And it's also vital for us to have that direct contact with our customers that we can have through Amazon or our, our own website. I'm curious in sort of like the beauty and one-time use space, like what has yet to be explored that you'd like to see kind of explored in the space? Well, I can start by saying that I think that there is a lot of single-use <laughs> elements to the single or to the beauty industry. Um, I feel like we have a lot of elements that we can develop, but we started in personal care. We started with, you know, cleaning ears, tissues, and and in that, like, it's very like one thing per use in the beauty industry. It's like you have this one thing that can be used a thousand different ways because you can use it for eyeliner. You can use it to apply something. You can just take it off something. And I feel like if, for example, I should go and say, okay, we're going to do a cotton swab, you know, serious in beauty industry. It would be like, you know, seven different shapes that you can shape your eyelids with, or you can do all these, like it's, it's, it's going to be tools in a sense, not so much these like single use um, tissues, like this tissue, you can use it for a thousand different things. So in that sense, I, I feel like it, it is a different sphere. What do you think, Monica? You know, the more I work in the beauty space, the more I think about consumption and sufficiency and so forth. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite guilty of, you know, being a beauty product junkie, but it is making me think about buying less. And there was a, 
a quote from Patagonia years ago, they had launched a campaign, you know, don't buy this product or, you know, don't buy this jacket. And, you know, then they said the most sustainable product is the one you don't buy. And I think that Last Object, you know, for example, has a really strong platform to speak about that. And you are absolutely discouraging the purchase of single use products and, you know, the purchase of a single item that can last and, and provide a function over many years. But I think that what we all need to do is to think about how we can tackle this question of, you know, sufficiency and what we need and, you know, how much we do need to buy, you know, figure out some different angles to address that. Because, you know, I'm not sure we're going to solve the challenges that we're facing with products and packaging and chemicals in the environment and packages in the ocean and so forth, you know, if we continue to consume in the way we are. Um, I think there's going to have to be some some rethinking about our purchasing habits overall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Isabel, for joining us. It's so great to hear about the story. I am going to buy some last, a last swab. So I'm excited to try it. Keep up the good work and good luck with the launch. Thank you for this awesome interview. Listeners, to see more of Isabel's work, visit lastobject.com. Okay, now it's that time. Every week, we share our weekly dose of good design, our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll go first. So I am an inbox zero person. So I like love to just clear my inbox, answer everything. And so I'm always looking for like, what's the latest in like email efficiency? And I found like over the last few months, I was being like, advertised to for this app called superhuman and i'm like what is this thing and you know finally come to learn that's like all about like getting to inbox zero really quickly and i was like sold so i checked it out first thing i'll say about it is it is a 30 dollar per month email app so not cheap but for me i get i don't even know how many per day hundreds of emails per day i was like i'm gonna give this a try so first thing that you experience when you sign up for Superhuman is they set up time with you and you get like this concierge person to like learn about how you use email and like help you set up the app in a way that works for you. And I was like, I love this. The guy I chatted with, I forget his name now, but he was so fun and like really listened to how I use email, helped me set it up. And then I was off to the races. So the whole idea of this app is it's all based on keyboard shortcuts. So you never actually like your hand does not leave the keyboard. So you're supposed to be like churning through emails, right? It also really makes it so you can either only see the list of emails or emails. You can't like have a bunch of windows open that gets you distracted. The whole idea behind this is like you, you see an email, you're going through it and you either like answer it for, you know, ignore it, archive it or snooze it like for a later time. It's got all this other functionality as well of like being able to set up very quickly, like calendar uh, invites right from the app. You know, normally I have to like go to Google Calendar, set up the calendar invite, send that. Uh, there's all kinds of smarts around like what they call snippets. So if you end up sending the same text a lot, you can create a quick keyboard shortcut that just basically like creates that text and sends it automatically. Other thing I'll say about just this whole experience has been, so I signed up little over a month ago or a little under a month ago 
I've got an email every day from the founder of the company with like a new tip or like a new feature that they've created. And being an inbox zero person, normally I'm like unsubscribing from these. I have read every single one. I've been like, just totally, my attention is full. They have these like videos of like how to use this little tool because each one's actually useful to like getting through my email quicker. So I thought it was a very cool like onboarding with the concierge and then these like little emails of like how to use the tool. And yeah, it's been great. It's not the right app for everybody, like $30 a month, but for me and the pure like load of email that I get, it has just been a joy. And let's see, I can look up my stats here. And yeah, so I have five weeks in a row have gotten to inbox zero. So zero emails. So check out Superhuman. Again, not for everyone for the cost, but I have really enjoyed using it. Cool. I'll kick it over to Monica. I have kind of a different uh, example, um, favorite design. Um, I just uh, recently ordered a pair of sandals for my 18-year-old son, and they are these Chaco sandals and um, bought them online, you know, course and uh, got them in the mail. And when the package arrived, I was really excited about the box that they came in. I mean, the sandals were nice. They were cool. They were, you know, pretty stylish. They look pretty good on him. But um, I was very excited about the shoe box. And, you know, 18 year old son just graduated from high school, taking a gap year, but he's going to study engineering. So I took the opportunity to pull him over and say, hey, check out this box and brought him outside. And before I put it in the recycling bin, I just said, check this out. So it is a corrugated cardboard shoe box. And by the way, I loved it from the beginning because corrugated cardboard is one of the most uh, highly recycled materials it's biodegradable my background is in paper making so loved everything about it and what's not to love and the box and the top it's just one piece of cardboard it's not like two components so i'm sure it's like pretty inexpensive to actually manufacture so it is one piece of corrugated cardboard that's sort of stamped out and notched and etc cetera, etc cetera. so and it folds up into the shoe box and the lid, like the lid is kind of on a hinge. And then after you take the sandals out, you just unfold it and it unfolds completely flat, highly, highly recyclable, efficient to, you know, stack with your other cardboard boxes that you've flattened, of course, before you've put them in your recycling bin. And he was really excited to see this. He actually was, which is even more satisfying. And uh, I love it. And um, there are companies out there. Uline is a supplier, you know, that that makes these kinds of boxes. There may be others, but um, love that box almost more than the shoes. Yeah, the shoes. <laughs> take them or the leave shoes. them. But... Yeah, who cares? Yeah, they're they're <laughs> happening. That's awesome. That's so good. Thank you. Listeners, if you have a great weekly dose of good design, please tweet or share it with me. I'm on Twitter, at Sam Aquilano. I love hearing your suggestions and sharing them. Monica, it's been so fun. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and expertise. I really appreciate it. Sam, it was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I learned a lot and it was a lot of fun. 
That's our show. Again, I want to thank Monica Becker and Isabel Agard for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll post links to the resources we discussed today on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. You can always find the latest from us at Design Museum on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at Design Museum Everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. And we have an email newsletter you can sign up for right on our website. Also, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. Design is Everywhere is on every podcast platform. So check us out, subscribe, rate, and review. That helps other people find the show. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates with research support and writing by Tanya Chavla. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here, and we'll talk again next week.